2: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined, as always, my co-host, Nick Pilato. and Today, we got a special guest on our podcast. He's a scout for lads, but to some of you, to most of you, he's also BBI royalty. I got to be honest. My father, Ron Schneier, who is an avid listener in this podcast, is the biggest fan of this man that we're about to have on this podcast. He literally says, but this man said this anytime I talk to him about the draft. I'm not even kidding. He's like, no, I don't know. But X said this and this and this. And I'm like, you know what, Dad? Go listen to X then. Don't ask me my opinions. you want to know about the draft? Go listen, go ahead go, go over there. Make friends with him. Maybe he, you better be, be happier if he was your son. All right. But without further ado, we're having on, the, uh, like I said, the scout from Arleds, David Seibert And I, I hope I not pronounced that name right. I tried like five times in the pre-draft. But how you doing, my friend? And thanks for joining us.
3: Awesome, man. I'm doing great. We're a week away. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of work goes into that next weekend, and it's just fun to uh, kind of see it all come together. Uh, and thank you for having me on, and special shout-out to your pops.
2: Yeah, listen, man. I'll, t- I'll tell you this. When I first... Started following the Giants. Obviously, this was way back in the day. I was a young kid, really enjoying football, and there wasn't Twitter. There wasn't a lot of information out there yeah. to follow your team. So, Big Blue Interactive was it. Like, you headed over there and you got everything on the Giants. And yeah. I learned a lot about. You know this entire process, the draft, what to look for, prospects, everything from you. So I, you know, you were one of the first people I started reading about the draft from. So it's the same thing for me. I'll just say this now: my dad is the bit one of the biggest fans, so I had to shout it out. So awesome. obviously, you know, it's great to have you on. We, this has been a long time coming. We want to talk the draft with you, so so let's get this going now. And let's first, I want to ask you about the Giants stuff. So let's start with picks five and seven. If you're the GM, let's say, let's let's not go into what you think they'll do. Let's go into what you would do. If you were the GM of the Giants right now, picks five and seven, you could say you would trade one of the two picks if that's something or look to trade one of the picks, or you would select a certain group of players and let, let me know who those guys are.
3: Yeah. I mean, hey, I, I think that any rebuild process needs to start in the trenches unless you already have strength there. And I think if you want to really zero in on two weak points of the Giants roster, both right now, and the previous five, six years where the giants have been bottom of the barrel, there's no disputing that their offensive and defensive lines up front. They're just not consistent. And if there's, if there's one thing consistent about both groups is they don't play well, they get outmatched more often than not. And if you really want to start this rebuild from the ground up, that's where you start. And I think fortunately for the giants in this draft class, the strength at the top of the draft is on both sides of the ball in the lines. And you could look at the edge rusher positions. You have multiple guys there. And then you look along the offensive line. You have multiple tackles that could fit into this giant void they have at right tackle right now. And so if they do stay put, I think that they have to walk out of, and the draft board, it does set up pretty well for this, that they take an offensive lineman with at least one of them. All right. And I say at least kind of emphasize that at least one of these picks is spent on the offensive line. Um, And then in an ideal world, they get one of these edge guys. And I'm not quite sure that you can really predict who's going to be there. Um, And I'm not quite sure that the grade is going to meet what you have on the offensive line if you're not a Kayvon Thibodeau fan, if you're not a Jermaine Johnson fan. But in my perfect world, you have one of two things happen. Trevon Walker is there at five. um, And you get one of the leftover offensive linemen who are graded incredibly similar right between Charles Cross, Evan Neal and Equanu. They're they're all within a point each other, of each other on my grading scale. So I I'm, i would be content with any one of those three at number 7 overall. So with the number 5 pick if Travon Walker is there, uh, that would be my guy and then I know there's some fear there because a lot of what you're doing there is projecting what he might turn into, right? His tools are would be among the best movement-based tools of the wide receivers in this draft class. That's what kind of athlete you're talking about. And then you watch some of what he did late in the year, especially against Michigan, Um, just how physical he is. He's not just an athlete. He's a football player. And uh, I think that what Martindale is going to do with this defensive scheme, his number one goal is to confuse the opposing offense. So what do you need in order for that to happen? You need defenders that can play multiple spots at once. This play inside, this play outside, this play coverage. And so that the, the, you know, these opposing quarterbacks, the top ones in the league, they're incredibly smart. They're smarter than some of the coaches in the league. So if they can get up to that line and they're not really quite sure where the pressure is coming from, um, that's, that's how I think you're stopping offense in today's NFL. It's not going to be by just the best players. It's going to be about confusion and then players that execute.
2: Something we heard yesterday, I don't remember if it was from Dable or if it was from Shane during one of the two interviews, is yeah. that he's talked to Wink, and they want versatile players, and that's yeah. scheme versatile players, and that's yeah. something I don't know if me and Nick have really discussed much on the podcast. I don't know if you want you want to jump in there, Nick, because I didn't mean to cut you off. I just thought that was a really interesting point.
1: Just because we're talking about the the first round, what are, what are your thoughts kind of on the Giants addressing the cornerback position with Wink Martindale's system being predicated a little bit more on coverage and scheming pressure? Because I do agree, I think edge is definitely a need, but I also look at Sauce Gardner and possibly Derek Stingley Jr. if they're comfortable with the medicals and everything and think that those guys do make sense
3: as well. Absolutely. I, I don't think there's like, I'm not one of those guys where like, hey, they have to take an edge. They have to take a Um, I I think a corner would be just as good in my perfect world. Um, a pass rusher can hide issues in the secondary where a secondary can't always hide issues up front. That's just the way the league is right now. I mean, these corners, you're not even allowed to touch receivers anymore. Right. I mean, the the league has transcended into something where they try to create point. The league is trying to create points for the offense. Right. So, just pool wise, I, I think the pressure needs to come first. But by no means, I mean, I'm looking at my grades right now. Gardner and Stingley, to me, they're both right up there with the names I already mentioned. And if they went in that direction at number five with what I think Gardner will probably go before, but I'm still very high on Stingley, probably get into a debate about that. But uh, I think that if the Giants walked away with a defender, let's say that, at number five, a corner or edge rusher, and then they go attack the offensive line at seven with whoever's left over, I think either approach is going to set up very well for what Martindale's scheme is, because Martindale, he does. He leaves his corners out to dry. Yeah, Yo, you do not have help over the top. We are sending six. We are sending seven. Everyone's in man coverage. If you can't stick to DK Metcalf, we are going to allow a touchdown. You know, so you need to have guys that can really take an uh, take a receiver on an island and cover them up. So you could make a valid, incredible argument that that is more important than the edge guy.
2: I think it's interesting that you mentioned because this is the second time we've heard this in two days. We had uh, Eric Crocker on yesterday, former defensive back, great great NFL mind. It's the second time we've heard somebody mention that. Look, and and me and Nick have gone back and forth on this as well because we are also pretty high on him. Yeah, We don't have Stingley too far after Gardner, and he's not talked about by a lot of Giants fans. I feel like if that pick was made, a lot of Giants fans would be like, oh, this is such a terrible pick. I can't believe we went Stingley. It was a reach. We didn't get Garner. We still went Stingley. But like you said, you tweeted this out, I think, like a week or two ago. You're like, look, if Stingley looks good at his pro day and he checks out medically, I have him right up there with Garner. And he did check out. I mean, he didn't have much time to prepare for that pro day and still looked unbelievable out there. Yeah. So I, why I, do you have Stingley up there with Garner? Talk a little bit about some of the skills you think that fit Wink, what, Mink, uh, sorry, what Wink Marndell wants to do
3: completely agree with you that the the check the the box the box was checked with stingley at his pro day you know if you went out there and ran a four or five i mean there's even discrepancy with what his 40 time was right i mean you have you know guys arguing was he a four 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 or four three seven yeah. i have a source i have said he was under four four so whatever guy he's fast all right so that that's the answer to that question right now who do you take more this, this is a really interesting situation right I think that if you're only going to look at the football player, right, the guy that needs to cover short, intermediate, and deep, Stingley's the guy. He, I have him one slot above Gardner on my overall big board. So I do have him graded higher. Um, I think when it comes to short and intermediate change of direction, the ability to anticipate routes, break out of your backpedal, and attack the ball without getting penalized – Stingley has a little bit more coordination and body control. Now, does that mean he's a better prospect than Gardner? It's kind of, this is where defensive schemes come into play. Gardner's the kind of guy, if you want someone with more tools, obviously the height, the length, and I would even say the long stride speed down the field, like once they really get going, Gardner's going to be the one that probably protects you over the top a little bit better. So with this scheme, you could probably make a case for either or. I think football is one and loss, short and intermediate. And I think that needs to come first. If you can't cover short and intermediate, it's just going to get roasted. I mean, look what Tom Brady does. I mean, the guy just kills you by uh, you know, a million paper cuts over and over and over again, and a, a corner that can cover the deep path. That's great, but you can easily avoid that uh, on an offense week to week, where Stingley, I think you're almost afraid to throw in his direction. And the last thing I'll say on these two is there's a lot of gray area, a lot of unknown with Gardner and Hey, there's a lot of unknown with Trayvon Walker too. So I know this is just simply part of the process, but Garner, he didn't match up against receivers in the sec that often. Right. I think it was just in that, that, that championship game against Alabama and Stingley, you know, the the reports that came out of LSU with, from the coaching staff about what he did against Jamar chase and Justin Jefferson as a true freshman, right. Right. That, that level of competition week to week is greater than anything Garner ever saw. Um, the role of the dice with Stingley. I think that you know right now, I think he's a better football player. I don't think there's much questioning that. The role of the dice is, will he stay on the field? And that's everyone's worst nightmare when you're picking near the top of the draft as you put a huge resource into an asset that, you know, isn't available, right? The best availability, the best ability is availability, right? And if he can't prove that he's going to stay on the field. Now, I was told that Stingley could have come back this past year. But I think it was more about like, hey, I'm just going to start prepping for the draft. All right. We got to remember that the best tape that we've seen out of any quarterback in this draft by a large margin was Derek Stingley in 2019. And I think that he kind of knows that that was enough for him. And I don't think he had much left to prove.
2: Excellent point there, because, I mean, Nick said that earlier. I'm one of the I don't remember when you said it, Nick, but he said, look, the best tape we have is 2019 Stingley. And one thing about Gardner is, you know, you talk about a lot of people point to that Alabama game like, Oh, see, he did it. He did it against Bama, well, we had Crocker on and, and, you know, Nick, Nick and I saw this as well. And I'm sure you did as well. They played a lot of zone in that game. So yep. how much of that is really translate? How much can we just apples, apple say, look, he did it once. So he's the guy. So I think that's a really Let's good point.
3: Let's not forget the two wide receivers toward their ACL. <laughs> you yeah. Know, they, that too. You know, they, they he didn't match up against Williams that much, he didn't match up against Mechie that much. And you know, I, I don't want to say like I'm bashing Gardner. He's I'm looking at my board right now. He's the sixth player on my board. You know, this process starts off with 3,000 guys, right? And he's number six. I like him a lot. But if you're really you're trying to split hairs, so you're trying to pick between the two. The risk with Stingley is his foot. You know, there's a lot, there's less margin for error when it comes to lower body injuries than corners than I think any position in football. Receivers and running backs, you can still kind of get away with a banged up lower half or injuries that accrue over the, towards, uh, over the course of a career. But a corner, the speed and athleticism and, and twitch is so important for that position that if you do have a lingering foot issue and it did take a little bite out of the athleticism there, it it could be something that hampers him. So I think that's the risk with Stingley. The risk with Gardner is you still – you just don't know. It, it, there's a lot of unknown with him, and that would scare me at the corner position.
1: And I'll say this about Derek Stingley Jr. too and just the LSU program. It was a funky thing going on there. It wasn't just like Stingley's like, screw these teammates, I'm done. Like Everything was kind of done in the Ed Orgeron era, and I think that's a very important distinction to make when we're kind of judging his football character. And one more thing I kind of wanted to ask you too, Dave, just because we're touching on the cornerback, the first and second pick. Let's say the Giants go tackle, and then they go cornerback. And at that 36th pick, the Giants just had somebody in who is a versatile defensive lineman. He's 285 pounds, six foot six. His name's Logan Hall from Houston. They had him for that top 30 visit. If he's there at 36, can you give the listeners a little bit of a synopsis on his play and if that would be a wise selection?
3: Very wise selection. I think he's one of the uh, top 25 players in the class. Um, I have him graded the same as both Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt from Georgia. Um, it's funny. The three of them, they end up with the same grade, but again, this is going to be Based on scheme, they're such different players, all three of those guys. Logan Hall is the one that has the ceiling of someone that's going to make a huge difference in the league as a pass rusher. Um, He has just the height, the length, the stride speed, the ability to stay square. But one thing that stands out about him that I think translates to what the Giants are going to do on defense, his ability to play with a low center of gravity at his height with his length is incredibly rare. Like when you watch, you're scouting just hundreds of players throughout the year. Every now and then you come across something that has like a rare physical trait. And that's what Logan Hall has. He is so good with his hands. If you talk to any defensive line coach in the NFL, that's one of the hardest things to get these guys to understand. You have to be elite with your hands. Logan Hall already has that. So that's going to allow him to play B-gap, C-gap, and then outside. He can rush the passer from the outside. I think his greatest value as a pass rusher – in this scheme will be what Justin Tuck did. If you guys remember back, like he was a defensive end, but when I'm third down, you throw that guy inside his ability, his get off in combination with control and ability to play low with his length is really hard to handle for these big lumbering heavy guards inside. Um, he has the potential to be a matchup nightmare. And again, what do we think Martindale wants to do the most with the defense? And again, I'm guessing based on what I've read about him and heard him talk about, He wants guys that when they come on the field, the opposition doesn't know where they're going to line up. So it's really hard to scheme a play on the fly or, or make changes at the line, right? That's what the best quarterbacks do. They see what they see what the defense is doing. They change this, they change that first down. When you have guys like Logan Hall, Leonard Williams, even Dexter Lawrence um, you just don't know what's coming and you don't know where it's coming from. Logan Hall would be We'll probably, if he's there in the second round, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't care what they do in the first with the first two picks. He'll be on a short list of guys that I think the Giants should be going after.
2: And that's Logan Hall out of Houston. We like to go over the name and the and the school because I know people say we don't do that enough, so we try <laughs> to do that more. Uh Speaking, since we're turning the page, to that I mean, and there are still some things I want to talk with you about regarding those five and seven picks, specifically the tackles. We'll get to them a little bit because I have some. I have a a segment coming up where we're going over some of your tweets and I I think you had some, you had some fun takes there. So for now let's focus on 36 because 36 is incredibly important to the giants as well. And Mm -hmm. you mentioned hall as somebody who's going to be on your short list regardless of what they do. And I love to hear that because I'm a big believer in don't let your early picks dictate what positions you have to take next. That's not how this is. I'm totally fine with cluster drafting. I'm totally fine with drafting the best player, especially once you get past like two thirty six. So speaking of 36 overall, Name some of the players that are also on your short list for the Giants, and you can even throw in some names that people are projecting in the first round, because you know everybody thinks these guys are locked first rounders. But there's only 32 picks, and some people end up falling every draft,
3: every year. Yeah, no, there's no, there's no question. I, I, I personally, I hate mock drafts because it's yeah. kind of part of the business, and you just have to do it, and it's fine, you know. But it, it's just. um it kind of gives these guys the wrong label of, Oh, I think this guy's a first rounder, but not this guy. And honestly, at the end of the day, it comes down to the system and, and situation. And yeah. a lot, of, a lot of these contending teams, like they, they will reach for players because they need to fill a spot on the roster. It's not because, you know, some ESPN big board has some guy ranked 24th overall, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, that's a different story. So I'll give you a few names here. I'll start on offense. I'm, I'm thinking, This would be, it might be rich to some, but I have him graded as a first rounder, the tight end Trey McBride from Colorado State. Uh, I think the tight end position is probably the worst or second worst position that the Giants have. When you look at both this season and the future, right? I think the Giants draft this uh, next weekend is as much about the 2023 season as it is about this season. So when I say that, I look at who's under contract at this time next year and Trey McBride probably comes in as tight end. Number one on this team right now, but I think down the road, I would love for the giants to have a tight end, whether it's the second, third or fourth round in the system for a year so that when they're ready to take off next year, right. They have, because that, that is a position that is really hard to translate, uh, trans, sorry, transform from college to NFL. And you got to give these guys at least a year. It just is the blocking slash receiving slash route running combination, everything you have to take in. Um, you know, the guys that get beat up at the point of attack, but you also have to separate from slot corners. I mean, what position has that kind of demand And I would love for the giants to get a guy in the system right now. And I think he's the one, he's the one that I think has some special in him. When you're talking about him attack the football in traffic, he tested athletically a lot better. he, a lot of the numbers that you want to put next to him are the same exact numbers we saw out of George Kittle coming out of uh, Iowa. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to put him on that all pro status. Um, I did not grade him that way, but I think he's a quality starter. Um, Quay Walker linebackers, two of them, Quay Walker from Georgia and Leo Chanel from Wisconsin. Two guys that I think just would be perfect fits for next to Blake Martinez, because even though, you know Blake Martinez I do think he's a stud you got to think he's going to slow down a little bit coming off the ACL he's I think he's approaching the wrong side of 30 right now or he's or is almost there you want someone next to them next to him that can kind of be groomed for taking that over that role next year but also someone that again back to that Martindale scheme that can provide something as a pass rusher and Quay Walker he got a few looks as an outside edge rusher and he looked the part I mean, he is tall, long, he bends, strong arms, great lockout game. He can turn a tight edge. Those are hard things to find with an edge rusher, and he's not even an edge rusher. Uh, doesn't have the mental side down quite yet. I think some of his issues there got hidden by the fact that the Georgia defense had ridiculous um, amount of, of NFL caliber defenders around him. Um, Chanel, I mean, this guy is a unicorn physically. Um, I did make a, a, put a tweet out there about – his workout numbers, his uh, his weight, his strength, and I think some of his production numbers, it's never been seen before. And, again, there are some issues I see with him on tape, but you have to every now and then take a gamble on a unicorn like that. And everything that I've heard and read about Chanel is he loves football, eats glass, he wants to beat the crap out of everyone in front of him. I just think that's a fit for what the Giants wa- are going to want to do on defense. So those three names right there, I can probably give you a few more, but love to get your thoughts on them, guys, because if you walked away with any one of those three guys or Logan Hall, um, Giants fans should be doing cartwheels.
1: Yeah, we love Leo Chenal on this podcast, yeah. and we've been talking in his praises about his fit with Dominic Martindale's system, yeah. specifically coming forward. Very, very just explosive, linear athlete coming forward. But then when you see him kind of bend around offensive linemen punches, the way he gets so low and has this – insane flexibility in his lower half to avoid those punches is great i wish he wasn't so stiff when he's dropping back into coverage but like you said dude you get it's a give and take this guy is a unicorn specifically when he has to come forward i'm wondering do the giants have to take him at 36 you think because of his unique skill set
3: it's a good question um this is where i always get a little kind of like muddy in terms of where guys are going to go um if the giants you know, you could try to play this game like, well, if we don't take him, maybe we can get the other linebacker in the third round. Thirty-two picks is a lot. You know, a lot can happen in those thirty-two yeah. picks. Um, I, I think if the, if if the Giants want Chanel, I do think it's going to have to be in the second round. Whether it's right at thirty-six, or if they trade down a little bit, or somehow end up trading up from the third round, I think it's going to be have to be around two. Um, I wouldn't. There are Quay Walker. I would say the same thing. McBride. I would say the same thing. But yeah, I, I do think it's got to be round two.
1: Quay Walker, somebody that I think could slip into the first round, like that kind of just rare athlete type yep. of stuff. Dan, I'm sorry I kind of cut you off.
2: Oh no, you're good. You're good. I was gonna just say, look, I love one thing I love about what Sai just went over is he's not like adhering to the big boards, the mocks. Like, oh, you got to take this guy at 55. Oh, you can wait. No, these guys are worth taking this early according to your board, and you're and you've put in the work. And I'm with you on a lot of these. I'm. Uh, we'll talk about one I don't see the same way as you. I just want to provide a little pushback on, but as far as Chanel, obviously you can see the Wisconsin flag in the background, but it's not just because of that. Look, (laughs) I watched this guy and he's, one thing I really like about Chanel is he's kind of just still learning the game of football. I, I heard an interview with him before last season. And he was talking about just how raw he was the year before in 2020 with Wisconsin. He's like, I was just literally, I wasn't trusting myself. I wasn't shooting the gaps and the coaches are like, just shoot, the, just shoot it. Like, just yeah. go for it. And look how good he did in his first year. He racks up eight sacks. And I saw someone else tweet this. You put out a great tweet, 250 pounds, sub four, five, five four, the 40 plus vertical seven Oh three cone. But somebody else was like, look, when have you ever seen a linebacker prospect with a 99th percentile athleticism grade and a 98th percentile production grade? Cause he yeah. was insanely productive as both a yeah. pass rusher and run stopper. And he's not the linebacker one. And yeah. so I love Chanel and I love Walker. I've been on the Walker train for a long time. I would take Walker over Dean. And I said that for, to me, it's not even a question. I like yeah. I, when you're projecting traits to the next level, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even come close to taking Dean over mm-hmm. Walker. The one person I will give pushback on for me and yeah. this is just my own thing, because Nick likes him a lot, is McBride. I just, yeah. when I watch McBride, I don't see a special athlete. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's at the level he was playing at. And that's the only thing that concerns me, specifically after the catch. Like, what can yeah. he give you after the catch? Now, there is still that ceiling that he just becomes that beast chain moving, like Jason Witten type of player. Yeah. And I understand that. But when you show me somebody who's still learning, still coming to his own as a blocker, and then, and then the, the post-catch athleticism isn't necessarily there. I'm just a little concerned with that type of prospect. But yeah,
3: I, I totally get it, and I honestly, yeah. I see, I could see a couple of the tight ends going in front of him just based mm-hmm. on trades alone. He's not tall. I think he's six three and a half. Yeah, but shorter than I want. Um, I just like, I, I like his feistiness. Uh, you know, he's he definitely plays with a few screws loose and. He, he gets after it as a blocker. Like that's one thing I, I think is pretty easy to see on tape is do these guys want to block or not? And McBride, he wants to fight in, in the trenches. And I think you can work with that. That's one of the prerequisites for being a good blocker. You have to really want to do it. There has, there's gotta be a lot of desire there. And he, he does a pretty good job as a blocker. I would even say he's far more advanced than all, but maybe two or three of the tight ends in the class. Right. So I think that he's going to be okay in that department. Um, I was surprised by his 40 time. So he might not play to that kind of speed. The one counterpoint I would have to after the catch and not the special athlete is he, he was double covered more than any tight end in the class. And, and that was charted. And that that's something that, A, you just don't see tight ends get double covered that often. Right. But B, that's, there just wasn't a ton of space to work with in contrast to what some other tight ends will see. And in the NFL, he's not going to be the feature guy. I mean, I think McBride was the number one, two, and three receiver on Colorado State. You know, there, there just wasn't much else to do. And you could even see when they got to the red zone, he only had one touchdown this past year. I mean, they were triple covering him because they knew that they were either going to have the quarterback run or they are going to throw it to McBride. There just wasn't much left. And it's hard to really create when there's no space. And there's, there's no disputing the fact that he's not going to be – Travis Kelsey or Darren Waller. He's not that kind of special athlete, but I'm just looking for someone that, you know, maybe what Jeremy Shockey brought to the Giants back in the day, just some attitude, a guy that's going to catch the ball in traffic. Um, I think he's got the best hands in the class records right there with him. Uh, But I I think that when the ball gets up in the air and he's in traffic, he's got the advantage at all times. He was a big time baseball player, big time basketball player in high school. Um, and I just think that no matter what he does, he's going to be the kind of guy that just – he achieves success. He will reach the ceiling.
2: I like that because, look, we always talk about as me and Nick, and it's like I do prioritize those traits first. Yeah. The ability to catch the ball away from your frame, the natural hands, and the feistiness, especially at the tight end position. That's something yeah. the Giants just haven't had in a while at tight I end. Like it yep. was the op- polar opposite of what Evan Ingram brought to the yeah. table. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, maybe I, I'm. that's somebody I want to go back and watch a little bit more of yeah. and talk more with Nick on because I feel like I gave that first evaluation and maybe I just need to do a little bit more work. Yeah, but
3: I, I wouldn't even say, like, you know, I'm big on this stuff. Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you you're wrong about that. I don't believe mm-hmm. in talking to anybody like that when it comes to draft. We're all guessing, you know. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: And honestly, sometimes you just have a feeling on a guy. Yeah. And that, that's just it. And, like, um, I just remember watching his tape in August prior to the season, watching him early in the year. I'm like, this is my guy, you know.
2: Love to hear it. Let's talk a little bit about we'll be, we're we're gonna do some round by round stuff. I just want to talk a little bit about the two third round picks the Giants have in this draft because it's an interesting spot in the draft. The third round for the Giants, me and Nick did old podcast on this, has been a disaster zone for them since Mario Manningham in two thousand eight. Yeah. And everybody looks at that and they're like, oh my god, how pity us, where the Giants were so unlucky. But really, if you look around the league, and I think Joe Shane even mentioned this yesterday or some someone in that interview, I keep forgetting who the third round has been a bad spot for a lot of NFL teams. It's not really, it, it's more of a kind of dart throw than people believe it is. Cause it seems like such a nice round to have a pick in, but it's, it's,
3: yeah. it's, almost, it's always been yeah. day one or day two of the draft. So you just always, always assume. Yeah.
2: Right. But really it's when you get past those 50, maybe 75, that's when you start to get into some guessing range. Yeah. So I just have a, do you have it's kind of tough to project that far? I know, but do yeah. you have any guys that you've just that you're looking at? Like, these guys maybe have like round four, round three grades, so they might be there. And I, I love these guys, I got a round two, round one grade on these guys for the Giants.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
3: Yeah, um, I, I would say there's a, an offensive lineman from UCLA that I like a lot. His name's Sean Ryan. I think I'm saying it right. It might be yep. Ryan. He played left tackle there. He has kind of like that fire hydrant body build, just like thick from like ankle to neck, right? Um, he, I think he was on his way to being an Olympian rugby player, and then he opted for football once he got to school. and. He me- I knew he wouldn't be a tackle, although I think he outplayed uh, Thibodeau when UCLA face off against Oregon. They only face off a few times, uh, but I-, I knew immediately just watching him, he's going to be a guard. And then he measured in even uh s- shorter arm than I believed he would at the combine. So that kind of cemented the idea he's going to be inside. I think that what the Giants wanted Will Hernandez to turn into and... I did not like the pick back then. I thought it was terrible. He, Ooh. I thought he was one of the worst starting guards in all, all the NFL last year. I think that's what Sean Ryan can turn into. He just like that, that bruiser that when he gets his hands on you, he can do damage. But one thing he can do that Hernandez couldn't is he can move his feet really well. Post contact. He's not the kind of guy that you're just going to jump off the screen athletically, but he keeps his feet moving and he stays square. One of the biggest things I look for when I'm scouting an offensive lineman is the ability to stay square to the guy he's blocking. Meaning he doesn't show his numbers and face masks to the ground. uh, Post engagement. He doesn't, Uh, start to lose his balance or lose the width of his feet mid engagement. That's where a lot of guys get beat in the the NFL even, right? Ryan's feet are always just like stepping on like, you know, one ant at a time. Like there's a hundred ants per play or stepping on every blade of grass uh, while he's engaged with his man. And he's got the strongest hands in the class. I'm telling you, if there was a way to measure that at the combine, he would have won it. And I, I love having that kind of presence. He's got the anchor. He proved that on tape. All right. But I think his hands in combination with that, it's going to be something like uh, Dable has talked about how he doesn't, he really wants the middle of the pocket solidified. He doesn't want that to creep up onto the quarterback as he's going through his reads. I think that's going to be Ryan's greatest trait in the NFL. He might not be the greatest guy against the stunts and the twists and the Aaron Donalds, but who is, you know, um, I, I think he's the kind of guy that you move him inside. You don't have to worry about that position for a long time. So that, that's one of the round three guys I would really look at. I also think round three is gonna be the area where you might want to start adding some offensive talent. You know, th- that's that's just like another great cloud hanging over the Giants. Where where's Sterling yep. Shepard next year? I don't know. When where's Kenny Galladay next year? I don't know. Where's where's Kadarius Tony like
2: <laughs> oh no? He
3: better knows, be here. You know, uh and who where's Barkley gonna be? So you're looking right. at and if you want to win in the NFL, you know, I love defense. I, you know, I, I love the offensive line. You got to score points. And I think that it would be wise with one of these picks in the third round to add some offensive talent, whether they're going to use them this year or next year. So there's a wide receiver that I would love to try and develop for a year. Let him sit behind Colliday. His name's uh, Christian Watson from North Dakota State. You have Jalen Tolbert from South Alabama. Two guys that are outside of that Power 5 conference, but – That doesn't bother me in round three as much. Their tools are there. The traits are there. The hands are there. The size is there. Um, One thing that bothers me a little bit about these receivers at the top of the draft, and I don't think Giants will be in that market, but they're all kind of sitting around 190 pounds, 185 pounds. And if you want to just take some time, go look around how many receivers under 200 pounds see a lot of success year after year. It's not a lot. You know, a lot of these guys are pushing 200 and, you know, we obsess about 40 times in stats. Right. But I think size is a little bit underrated when you're looking at some of these guys. I think at Watson and Tolbert, these guys have the frame that if you can get them into the, into the system for a year, let Dable kind of get to know them. um, They'll be ready to rock next year. And and one of my running backs that I would love to see in this giants uniform um, to just, you know, you put them behind Barkley, but you use them in a lot of different ways is James Cook. From, from Georgia, um, he reminds me of Dalvin Cook, uh, the Vikings running back right now, who's probably a top three running back in the NFL. James Cook moves the exact same way. It's like he yep. he's one of these guys that when you see him move, whether he's running routes, whether he's running with the ball, it's like he's on ice skates. And like, it's like you can't even see his feet hit the ground, and he just changes direction so easily. Excellent space. He's pretty tough. You're not going to put him in between the tackles that often, but he can do it. And I think the trait about him that you also like – is if you made him a slot receiver tomorrow i think he'd still be a third round pick as a slot receiver in this draft i think his i think his receiving ability is that good
1: yeah uh, we love the james cook call to be honest man he was uh, i think our top three running back for both of us or he might have been four for, that'd be
3: great that's a good yeah.
1: call yeah, that would be an excellent addition. And I wanted to touch on Ryan because I just got done watching his film. A lot of my issues with Ryan all stem from him playing out on an island that tackle. So if you kick him inside, and it's not just because he had sub 33 inch arms, yeah. I really think you're onto something with like the Will Hernandez, but actually good.
3: Yeah. When
1: you, when you talk yeah. about his hands, dude, yeah. and this guy had a, like 11 and like three eighth inch hands or something. Absolutely. Insane, which is, like, yeah. 99th percentile. Yep. Like, the grip strength that you can garner from that type of hand use. If he fits his hands inside on you, good luck. You're not separating. It's
3: over. It's over. I like the rugby background and, you know, playing rugby and almost going to the Olympics for rugby is it's different. I I really like the background that he brings to the table. Um, And yeah, I mean, that that's the guy Like, I have no idea. I I haven't been in touch with anyone that has even talked about him. I have no idea where he's going to go in the draft, but I have him as the second, third rounder. And if he's there around three, I don't, again, I don't care what the giants do at the top of the draft. You know, if you guys look at what the bills had along the offensive line, and that's something, this is something I think you should keep track of the draft weekend. All almost all of their interior guys on their offensive line were tackles in college, almost all of them, not just one or two, you know, including their center. Um, and So I I think it's something that there's a lot of tackles in this draft that I think you're looking at that round three, round four, round five stage that if the Giants do grab one of these tackles at the top, you could see easily one of these college tackles being drafted to sit on the depth chart for a year, right, behind the guys that they signed pretty much all to one year deals other than Gluinski, right? So they're not going to be here next year, most likely. Um, so you're going to need another starter at this time next year. You got to keep that in mind. Draft weekend, think about next year this time. Um, Sean Ryan and Tyler Smith. There's a few few of these guys that I think they just project better inside. Where, like you said, Nick, the issue with him was against pure speed on the outside, and you just won't see that inside at all. I Darren Kennard as
1: well from Kentucky, yeah, a, a big blue banter favorite. Who this isn't even. So, I just feel like. He wasn't even someone who necessarily struggled with speed, but people are projecting him inside. Is Wake Forest is Zach Tom. Have you gotten yeah. your eyes on him?
3: Love him. Yeah, I have him as a fourth-round grade. I think he's probably going to go round five, round six. Incredibly smart. I mean, I put him at with the centers for what – you know, but, I mean, the guy's pass protection tape is really solid. And I'll tell you what, he reminds me of Mitch Morris, and he's the center for Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. And you tell, that's another reason why you like to put someone at center that was a college tackle is that – his intel his intelligence level um on and off the field is through the roof. He's like another coach, and that's what you want in the middle. So I'm I'm definitely on that Camton tr- Cam Tom train for for day three.
2: I wanna I wanna unpack a few of the things you said there. Are a lot of great stuff there from Cy. One thing I wanna unpack first is James Cook because I think there's a big difference between the James cook types and maybe like the Rashad Whites so or another kind of like receiver type running back type process. Cause when you watch Rashad white, I don't think he trusts his eyes a lot. I think he tries to bounce things to the outside. That's not the case at all. When you watch James cook, like he's, he's not a big guy, but he's willing to run it between the tackles. Yep. And I think for him, the projection is a little easier because you could just say, if he's able to put a little more size on, he yep. is able to play a bigger role and you don't need these days. You don't need the workhorse back. I know the Giants, yep have that right now with Barkley and some teams have this, but yep. the best teams aren't, aren't necessarily using utilizing this. So yeah. I'm totally fine in the third round, grabbing an insane talent like him and just being like, look, maybe he's not on the field every snap. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, no, I wanna,
4: I, yeah I, go ahead.
3: I mean, he just plays so fast. I mean, his eyes and twitch. And I think that's one thing we've almost kind of lost with Barkley and hopefully he gets it back. I, you know, from my outside perspective it seems like it's more mental than physical for him right now but we did see him kind of break out a little bit towards the end of the year just running with more assurance yeah but cook, cook just runs hard i mean he, he he hit that's the one thing about him he is under 200 pounds i think by a pound and historically those guys don't get drafted until day three usually i, I think since 2012 it's happened four or five times um true but i i think that cook he he runs – I wouldn't even say that he runs bigger than he is. So he he just runs so quick to where he sees, right? Like if he sees something on the left, he's going there. He doesn't second-guess himself, right? And his twitch goes along with that. So it's hard to always find someone that mentally and physically plays fast. Some of these guys can do one or the other, but they can't, can't do both. And that's what I like about Cook the most.
2: And that's James Cook, the running back out of Georgia. A few of the other names that Cy went over, just to recap. Sean Ryan, UCLA, played tackle. We think he's best inside. Uh, Jalen Tolbert, a uh, South Alabama wide receiver, Christian Watson, the wide receiver in North Dakota state before we move on. I do want to get your take on something because you mentioned something earlier that really stood out to me because me and Nick were way wrong on this. And I think just about everybody in the entire world was wrong about this one. You said you didn't like Will Hernandez when he came out of the draft. What grade did you have on him? And, and, and how were you so able to figure that one out? Because we, we just didn't know it until we saw it at the NFL level. Yeah, I mean, I could I
3: could uh, pull up my report real quick on him. Uh but I did I believe that I can tell you this while I find that is yeah. the guy that I wanted instead of him. It okay. was uh, Brandon Smith from Auburn, and yeah. I mean, he just got a massive extension
2: from Indianapolis. And he was uh, able to he was able to stay at tackle, Braden Smith. Yeah, and he, he's done a good job there. Yep. Um, so let's see. I'm scrolling down, scrolling down. Let's go. one pick later, Braden Smith. What a, what a yep. life. Yeah, So I gave
3: him seventy five. So I had. <laughs> Rated, that means he's kind of in the fourth, fifth round tier. Ooh, wow. and, but my weak points on him was that he was slow out of his stance as a lateral mover, struggles to maintain separation from defenders, you know, arm length, hands, gets top heavy, shows his numbers to the dirt, and he doesn't keep his head up. So th- those are what I saw on tape. I think that, you know, when the Giants, this is the year they picked Barkley, right? So Gettleman was still stuck in 1999, where he thought that if you get this back, <laughs> you go get these big bruising offensive linemen. And, and he was, and he was a bull off the snap. He, he tossed kids around in college. Like, but remember who you playing against. And that, right. that's part when I evaluate college tape, that that's a huge deal for me. And I know there are some situations where you're just, you're going to have to guess a little bit because you can't always use it against someone. But right. I do think it's part of the, something we should put on a grading sheet. Um, So I, I did think that if, if he got his speed and quickness, better right he was going to be a decent starting guard but i just said i wrote that he doesn't lock guys up and there are some adjustment issues he could be a stud if he fixes the pass blocking pr- pass protection issues but if not he's going to be a major liability and won't make it through his rookie contract
2: so you nailed it unbelievable that, that,
3: that was where that was where i kind of left it with
2: him well, you nailed that one. So I would suggest everybody listening to head over and, and check out Dave's uh, offensive line rankings because now, because I think I think you're the proof is in the pudding, right there.
3: Yeah, I, that, that's unfortunately, probably,
2: unfortunately for us, like this isn't I, good.
3: My misses too. You know, I had Josh Rosen up there pretty. Of course,
2: high. me too. Um, Rosen's but, one of my biggest misses of all line, time.
3: Yeah, the offensive line is something I'm, I'm. If there's one spot I'm most confident projecting, it's the offensive line and linebacker.
2: Those those are the spots I, I feel really good about. Love to hear that. And and don't knock yourself over the Rosen thing. There's a lot of people, myself included, who got Rosen wrong. Quarterbacks are very hard so to hard, out. So hard.
1: But let's go on to uh, the offensive line since you talked about it. Because Dan yeah. mentioned it before. We wanted to kind of circle back to the fifth and seventh pick. Yeah. So here on the Big Blue Banter podcast – my top three tackles are Neil, Aquanu and Cross. It's closer probably than I originally anticipated kind of heading into the film, but I do have Evan Neal number one. I think he is the safest pick. I think he has some balance issues when he's moving laterally engaged in blocks, found himself on the ground a little bit too often for my liking, but with all things considered, I still think he's probably the safest pick. Equanu probably has the most upside. Definitely be the most exciting dude to watch. Yeah. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about those tackles, those top three tackles, and even throw Trevor Penning or uh, Tyler Smith in there, and Bernard Raymond if you want, or Ryan? Yeah.
3: Hey, I'm on the same exact page as you. You know, I could probably say the same exact thing about the the Neil Equanu Is that Neil? When Neil is right, okay, when he does have his balance, he's Walter Jones. He he's that, and he was my favorite tackle of all time with the Seahawks. Um, but my Neil grade, it came up just short. He did not end the grade with an all pro, um, projection. Uh, this is actually the first draft in a long time. I don't have anyone in that, in that tier. Um, but Evan Neal, the reason I didn't leave him out there is exactly what you said is he gets a, he forgets about his feet and he he gets so concentrated on hand placement. And that's something he still needs to work on as well. But his feet, they kind of leave his uh, his upper body, right? His upper body goes in one direction. He doesn't bring his feet with him. And against a quality pass rusher in the NFL, they'll eat that up. So that is one concern I have about him. My positive is there is I, I've talked to a lot of pro offensive line coaches. I had uh, an experience of a lifetime when I worked for the Shrine game and picking the rosters. I got to watch tape with offensive line coaches from the league. And they say that's one of the things that they're most confident in, in teaching they're more confident in teaching more precise footwork than they are more precise handwork. And Neil's hands are pretty solid. And his footwork just needs to be fixed. Now, I want to give him a little leeway here, though, because he played for three years at Alabama, right? Year one, right tackle. Year two, guard. Year three, left tackle. And the one difference between the positions in the NFL is the footwork gets reversed a little bit. So I think that he just didn't have enough experience there. And I think once that he gets into the league and he gets cemented into a spot and i love how he said he'll play guard right tackle left tackle um obviously here he's gonna be, he'd be put right tackle day one i think that that's where I think the issue can be corrected you might see some growing pains with him year one but if he if that dude hits his upside you're talking about all pro and and i, I really love that about him ekwanu i still i do th- agree with you he'd be the most fun player to watch he brings attitude. I love, I just love how he comes across. He wants to be the best, all that stuff, right? I mean, the only catch is some of these guys are coached, had, had to talk to them. <laughs> you know, he plays that way. He he, he kind of plays the way Mikai Beckton did at Louisville, and that it was actually fun to watch him block. He would, he wanted to throw guys out of the stadium. My thought on him, and it's not a popular one, I did grade him as a tackle, but my ideal world would be put him at guard i I just think that's where he'll do the most damage, and can he handle tackle absolutely he's he's the athlete um but i I would just the Giants would really be a different offense in the running game if they had Thomas next to E yeah. on that left side okay. and there's a lot you can do with a guard that can move like that. there's a lot you can do that some teams just can't because you normally don't see an athlete like that inside, so I know he has said he wants to play tackle and no in my opinion you haven't done anything in the NFL, you'll play where the coach tells you, at least during your rookie contract, right? Um, We see prima donnas at quarterback and receiver, sometimes running back. Can't really remember the last time I saw, you know, an offensive lineman prima donna, you know, maybe Orlando Brown getting forcing a trade out of Baltimore so he can play left tackle, but you know, the, the Baltimore got a nice, got a nice package back there. So if that's what it turns into, so be it. Um, Charles cross, He's definitely the best right now. If you said, all right, we have a game tomorrow, guys. We need the best pass protector at right tackle. I think he's the one. Um, I think he's got the best body control. That's what I just said. Um, That's one of the biggest things I look for, something I noticed on his tape right away, just the ability to stay square. He recovers well. That's a big part of offensive line play. You're never going to find a guy that doesn't get beat off the ball sometimes, whether it's through power or speed. They all get beat. But what you don't see sometimes, or what you don't notice, is some of them are really good at recovering, kind of re-anchoring, repositioning their hands, re-squaring, right? That's what Cross does at a really high level. And I think that's what makes you feel good there. Um, the issue, he just was rarely asked to run block in that Mike Leach system. The last Mike Leach tackle that we saw come into the league that was supposed to be pretty good was Andre Dillard uh for Philadelphia, who is already just, I mean, he he didn't he couldn't cut it for exactly the reasons everyone was concerned about. The power yeah. wasn't there, the anchor wasn't there, didn't get moving as a run blocker. So, I don't want to use that against Cross, but again, keep that in the back of your head. And Penning, you know, Penning if you're only looking at tape, I think he's a day 2 guy. But when you look at the athleticism, the package and the mentality that he plays with, you kind of you're drawn to it. Yep. I'm kind of drawn to what he could be with real coaching, nothing against Northern Iowa, but the coaches at Northern Iowa are not what Evan Neal got at Alabama. Yeah. You know? And you just, the, the tools are there. I mean, he, he checks every box, his workout, his combine. I was like, Whoa, I did not see that coming. Um, And even the senior bowl, I think he did get beat off the ball a few times, but again, it was foot positioning. And I think that, you know, He's a better prospect, or just as good a prospect as Spencer Brown. I had Spencer Brown as a first-round grade last year. He got drafted in round three by Buffalo, uh, coincidentally. Um, And I think they're going to have a similar, similar career. Just a solid starter that you're probably never going to be overly happy with, but you're never going to see Bobby Hart, Will Hernandez, Nate Solder type uh, downfalls. Just giants. Just keep naming them. Keep naming them. It's
2: it's interesting too because it's like I felt like. I got Colton Miller's evaluation really wrong because I watched so much Josh Rosen that year and I saw how bad he was. He was not a good tackle at UCLA. and But everyone said, look, there's tools there that you can work with and you can make him a better player. And he's become a good player in the NFL. I, I think he's been, he had a great year 2020. And I think last year was kind of up and down after his breakout, but he's still become a starting NFL tackle. And he got a big contract from the Raiders. Yep. and that kind of reminds, it kind of makes me kind of second guess myself on penning who I'm not ultimately that high on, but it's yeah. like, and he have that similar trajectory to yeah. a Colton Miller. You don't know. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting. Do you have anything on that, any thoughts on Ryman? Cause Ryman's a guy that I like probably a little bit more than consensus. I a just of- love. Yeah, go ahead.
3: A lot of guys do, you know, and yeah. I think one, one thing you like about him is that he's just so new to the position, right? You know that he just hasn't had a lot of game experience, especially with the COVID year. I mean, I think that gets overlooked a lot when you're trying to project a lot of these kids right now. They miss a lot of football, even if they played last year, just a lot of the training, um, a lot of the practices, a lot of the, the film and strength sessions. Um, That there there might, these guys might be earlier on the progression curve than most rookies, right? You could say that about last year's class, this year's class, maybe even next year's class. And I think Raymond, I'm not huge on him. I like him as a, let's see, I'm looking at the board. I have him as a late two. So I I don't see him as a first round prospect. But these kind of tackles, they do get taken higher than you think. Because a lot of coaches say like, hey, this guy is still so I'm going to be the one that really gets him over the hump. And what I didn't like about him, he just doesn't have that core strength yet. Right. He loses on the outside shoulder a lot, which I also don't like for a tackle. It happened at the senior bowl. Often. He just lost the integrity of that outside shoulder. And that, that would, that would scare me if I had to put him on in the NFL on against an NFL edge rusher. Um, But if he can fill into his frame and you give him time to do that, the, natural twitch and the ability to again recover is going to be far higher than some of these other guys
1: love to hear it hey dave before we get you out of here you want to talk about any of your sleeper offensive linemen either tackles or interior guys guys that the giants can target maybe late on day two or early on day three that they can develop and maybe can replace some of these guys who are on one-year deals
2: you could even expand that by the way dave If you want to just all sleep any day three sleeper you're in yeah Give you a few here.
3: i um, will just give you little tidbits on the offensive line. Uh, at tackle, Vidarian Lowe from Illinois, uh, he was at the east west shrine. I, I saw him on tape in November, that's when I first started to look at Illinois. I loved him, and I, I think he measured out really well. He's a little shorter than you normally think, but again, I think that's less important, kind of like what Isaiah Wynn did in New England, right? Didn't measure in height wise, but again, if he can pass protect and he's got the length, it's not a big deal. I think Lowe's kind of in that tier. And I think he's got some starter traits in him, and I'm 99% sure he's going to be available in round five. And, again, if the Giants go offensive line early, would love to see them double dip and just start, you know. Yes. See, I mean, all good offensive lines have, like, at least that one guy that was a day three pick that turned into, like, a five-, six-year starter. And I think he can be that guy from the tackle group. Inside, I like this kid from North Carolina, Josh uh, Joshua ezidu I think that's how I say it. Uh, Play tackle and guard. Um, great hand strike that he, he wins initially almost, almost near perfect rate. His issue is that he doesn't keep his feet moving and he does kind of get a little too top heavy where he'll bend at the waist instead of keeping the knees bent. But, It doesn't show up all the time. He has showed the capability of bending at the knees, good ankle flexion, keeping the chest up. I just think that the urgency is a little too much with his hands. And if you can kind of contain that a little bit and just say, hey, you got the length, you got the hand power. If you trust your knee bend, you trust your lockout, um, you'll win in these one-on-one situations. So those are the two linemen that I would love to see them get. Um, day three, if they're going to wait till day three for a receiver. Um, I love when Wandale Robinson from Kentucky yeah. side, not, not the greatest. And I know you don't want to keep jamming a bunch of small receivers into this room. If Tony sticks around, not sure Shepard's going to be here that longer, much longer, but this dude is as tough as you're going to find someone that's at his height and weight. Um, and I think there's so much you can do with him out of the backfield in the slot that's someone that, – that would be an exciting day three name for the Giants to put into their wide receiver corps. Um, and I would say on the defensive side of the ball, a corner that just really got his first exposure to every down play is Jalen Armour-Davis from Alabama. Um, yeah. You normally don't see a corner from Alabama kind of go under the radar. You know, usually these guys are round one, round two, round three. But – Armor Davis, if you look at his tape week one and you look at his tape that back at the end of the year, he's a different player. And, you know, I think everyone saw it. So I might be cheating here. He might sneak into round three. But if he is there day three, I like him. I also like the corner Kobe Bryant from Cincinnati. Doesn't, doesn't, uh, didn't run a fast time. I think he was in the four or fives. It's always a little bit of a danger zone. But the Thorpe Award winner, um, he was the guy that defense has targeted a lot. You always hear that, um, you know, Ahmad Garner didn't allow X amount of catches or X amount of touchdowns in his career. He didn't get thrown to a lot. Was it because they were scared? I don't know. But Kobe Bryant did get a lot thrown at him and he produced. And I love seeing corners that you can kind of check that box, right? How well do they play the ball in the air? That's a big thing. That's just unknown. I mean, you can watch a corner, you can watch 150 snaps and see 10 that were really meaningful to how well they play the ball. Right. He so you just it's it's an unknown it's just not enough it's not a big enough sample size to really have a valid opinion about it you have to guess And i think kobe kind of showed this year you put the ball near him he's going to make a play you i love how he anticipates routes and throws he plays faster than any times um so those those are the names i would love to see the giants approach day 3 i'll give you one more because i think the giants are going to need a nose tackle um i'm still a little unsure why dexter lawrence isn't being put there but there's probably something i honestly i just don't know um yeah. And but I, I think we'll see him there. But there's a D tackle, a Tito Agbanya from UCLA, another UCLA guy. All of a sudden, I'm a UCLA fan. Again. <laughs> but he he is exactly what Martindale used at nose tackle over his t- tenure as a defensive coordinator there. Just a guy that's not going to jump off the screen athletically, but he's got that like that square frame that he he, he never loses the integrity of where he's trying to face. So he can two gap, and that's what I mean. Justin Ellis was brought in for a one year rental. Right. I would love to see uh, Agbanya come in and see if they can kind of develop some of his techniques, issues with bend, um, and just getting a little too urgent, not staying home. And if they can fix that, I think the Giants have a nose tackle set up for the next four or five years. Awesome stuff there.
1: Yeah, that's great. Have you seen Neil, Neil Farrell at LSU yet?
3: I have. Yeah. I mean, he's right. He's I have him right behind Agbanya. Um, one of the scouts that I talked to that, you know, I that I don't I try to stay away from a lot, a lot of draft media not anything personal against anyone I just don't like to be influenced too much and I think a lot yeah. of them parrot each other and so, and but the one guy that I talked to said that Farrell's going to be a third round pick um and that made
1: sense to be honest to me because i that, when i watched him i was really really impressed with his ability yeah. to string pass rush moves together like the dude was he's 300 something pounds and he's flashing like inside spin moves and outside spin moves coming to balance recollecting himself and then pursuing the quarterback and flushing him out of the pocket that's just not something you see from 315 pound players And he's, like, mocked in, like, the sixth round. I'm like, dude, there's no way that guy's going that
3: way. Yeah, he's probably going to be day two, maybe early day three. I had him just behind Abagya, Agbanya. He's, like, the next three. I kind of have, like, I try to separate three, four nose tackles from defensive tackles just because it's a different position. Not every scheme uses them either. Um, I question – the only thing I question with him, and this can be fixed, and there's a lot of rotations in the defensive lines these days, but – He just – he tired so easily. I mean, I felt the same way about Jordan Davis who barely – I don't even think he saw 40% of the snaps. Yeah. But I just don't – I get nervous about these up-tempo offenses that I think Farrell can be good in short glimpses, but if he's on the field for six, seven, eight plays in a row, he's a different player. And I think his good is really good, but his bad is really bad. You know, so –
1: yeah, I have that in my notes too. He could trim up a bit. He
3: has some sloppy yeah. weight.
1: But, man, he's actually 330
3: pounds. So yeah. I, 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 I can definitely trim it up a little bit. And, um, you know, I don't want to be the one to tell him that. So somebody else can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could be his coach could tell him that. Yeah. yeah. Wink can do that.
2: <laughs> and I definitely want to be cognizant of your time, Sai. But you did say you did give us a little few more minutes. So we have a few more yeah. minutes to have you here. And look, this has been unbelievable. So we're going to take advantage of all of them. So I want to throw one more name at you and I hope it doesn't sound like a Homer pick But I just really feel like this is the year where there's a lot of value coming from this Badgers roster. If you look at it and where they're projected and obviously on top of that, this Jim Leonard defense that they're coming from has some similarities to what Wink Marno wants to do. So it's a good fit. And this is not necessarily – I don't think he's going to play nose, but I think he can rotate with uh, at defensive end for the Giants, and that's Matt Hennigson out of the Badgers. Have you have you watched him at all? He's definitely a day three guy for sure. He won't go any earlier, but I think he's going to provide value for a team.
3: Yeah, I'm trying to find my notes on, on it. He had a – didn't he have a pretty impressive uh, pro really day? Really impressive pro Yeah. Yeah. So my game notes on him were undrafted, uh, a preferred free agent. So that basically means it's one of those guys that teams fight for. After, like sometimes, like a lot, you'll see this with prospects a lot that they don't want to get drafted in the seventh round. They 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 want to have eight teams calling them post draft. Right. They can find like the best situation for him. So those preferred free agents are the ones that like teams kind of will shell out a little bit more money. A lot of people don't know that there's a lot of contract negotiation with undrafted free agents. Um, right. Like are some teams that will shell out more money. So anyway, Henningson, great hand fighter good pad level never loses gap integrity so that alone right now it almost screams like just your classic five tech in the three in the three four which is going to be the giants baseline defense and he has i think did he measure and it was at 285
2: i think he got just under 290 but yeah yep
3: that's kind of my, my, my fear with him is that his frame is probably close to maxed out. Like he's yoked up right now. He doesn't have a lot of more room to add any more mass and that, that weight right around there for a three, four defensive end is on the small side, but you can work with it. My only issue with him is I, I think he got locked onto and he had a hard time disengaging. So just because of that alone, you're not going to see a lot of pass rush from him. Yeah. That's okay. We're talking about a day three pick here, but the the way the NFL is trending right now, I feel like if you don't offer something as a pass rusher and whether you agree with it or not um, teams just don't value it the way they did three, four years ago, even, you know, like I feel like every year we kind of just get further into this. Like, Hey, what do you do against the pass? What do you get? All right. Then you need to be able to do something elite against the run defense, something elite in him, other than the fact that he can hold his gap. Not really, but I do think that he's got a good shot at being drafted because, again, the, the coaches, the decision makers, they're going to see the tools. And yeah. athleticism—it jumped off the screen. Like that's one of those, like one of those pro day workouts that came in across the board. And I was like, every, and I'm sure everyone else did this too. It's like, whoa, you know? So <laughs> there's something there, right? And that's kind of the point. Like maybe the scheme at Wisconsin didn't really get to maximize what he can do. That's everyone's dream, right? Yeah. And, a college scheme didn't let him play the way he could have played with that athleticism. So I think he gets drafted. um, But I think you're looking at round seven.
2: And that's fair. Just jumping off the screen is exactly how his pro day was 37 and a half inch vertical at 289 pounds with a seven, one, six, three cone is just, Absolutely absurd at that, at that weight. It's rare At that weight, at 289. Let me ask you one more thing about sleep. It doesn't even have to be sleepers. Let's just say the giants don't go with Chanel or Quay Walker at 36. And I don't think, I think you're spot on by the way. I don't think there's a chance either is going to be on the board in round three. I know the summer projecting Chanel there, but it all takes is one coach. You said you feel really confident about your offensive line. And we've done a lot of that and your, and your linebacker evaluations. Yeah, Give us a few other and, this is a position where I know it's not considered a positional uh, a position of importance right now in today's NFL additional yeah. value, all that. But man, I've been looking for the giants to improve off ball linebacker for so long. I could, me and Nick every week, what we do for the podcast is we do all 22 film review of the offense and the defense, but awesome. I just can't watch Tay Crowder anymore. Play that yeah. amount of snaps. It just, <laughs> just not what I want to see anymore. It's not helping the giants. And so yeah. Give us a couple names or anybody you like to kind of step in and play next to Blake, like you said earlier.
3: I love Darren Beavers from Cincinnati. Uh, dude, I love the—he looks like a Steeler slash Raven. To me, you know, um, just he's oversized. Again, again, if you're look, looking at a day three linebacker, a sleeper, if that's what you want to call it. Again, there's going to be holes in their games, you know, so you have to accept that the hole in Beavers' game is he, he's not overly twitchy with lateral movement, but he played all over that defense. Like he rushed the, from the middle. He rushed on the outside. He played off-ball linebacker. He played Mike. Um, That—that's And he he tested pretty well. I think his jumps and, and agility were pretty good. Um, and just he's a, he's a man. Like he, he's one of the few guys that will come out of college and he'll be able to play – with the men of the NFL day one, he'll be a bruiser. I think he's going to be a guy that adds a personality to a front, to a front seven. Um, If you want more speed, more like, Hey, I'm going to get to that sideline before the running back does, or Hey, I'm going to chase down Lamar Jackson from behind Channing Tindall from Georgia, just a one-year starter. And again, sometimes one year starters worry you, but when you come from that kind of program, that kind of defense, I'm cool with it. You know, he, he showed a lot on tape. He doesn't know what he's doing yet, though. So that, that's one little issue that you might have. But again, next to Blake, that can hide you a little bit, right? Yeah. Eventually, he'll have to do what Tate Crowder did not do, and he'll have to take the step up. Um, but ironic, they'd be coming from the same program. Um, another one that I like, let's see here. Um, a guy if you want to take a chance on, this is more of a medical risk. But Yeah, I,
2: oh, I know what you're going to say, and I love this.
3: Yeah, Damone Clark from LSU. Yep. Um, he would have been, at, I know, I hate using if, like if his fantasy, right. But had that injury not popped up, he was going to be one of the, probably the top three linebackers in the classroom. Yeah. I mean, checked every single box, you know, and whenever you see that number 18 from LSU, you got to give him a second look. That's a, that's <laughs> a very big deal there. And, you know, he speed, size, physicality, instincts, all that's there, um, that anything, anytime you hear something with the spine or fusion, it, it worries you. But he and his representatives are very confident he's going to be full strength next year. So he won't play this year, just so you know. Yep. So I think it's going to make him drop into day three. But hey, the, the Giants are a team that I think it's, it's worth taking that kind of gamble at least once. I don't know if I would do it with David Ojabo in round two. But day three, that's the kind of risk I would want to take. Because it's basically a free pick for next year. And I think uh, another linebacker I really like, a um, little undersized, but Malcolm Rodriguez uh, from Oklahoma State, just a dog, dude. Like that dude. I mean, at the very least, at the very least, he's going to be an elite special right. teamer. And again, that's one thing that you see on day three gets overlooked. That's where, like, round six, round seven, sometimes even round five, the special teams coaches have a lot of say in and who this team's going to take. Like, they do their scouting too. Um, that, that the special team, I want that guy as a gunner. I want that guy in my kickoff coverage units and Malcolm Rodriguez, if he's not drafted by that point to play, you know, weak side linebacker and try to develop him there, there's going to be a special teams coach or 10 banging the table for him.
1: Love that call, man. Just because he's like five foot eleven, he's gonna I fall know. down. yeah, make me feel better about my.
2: I love <laughs> the Damone Clark call, man. This is the exact type of player I hope they take. I mean, look, all, last year all we listened to with Trey Smith was the medicals, the medicals. You can't take a chance on him. What are you losing when you take yeah. when you don't take a chance on these guys on day three? Yeah. You're losing out on a Gary Brightwell. You're losing out on guys that most likely aren't going to make the yeah, roster and make an impact anyway.
3: Yep, success rate in rounds six and seven, I think, is under eight percent. So. Yeah know if you guys if everyone if analytics are taking over the nfl now why can't we put some analytical thought into that and you know the medical industry the advancements that we see in medicine right. now i mean I, i'm not i don't have any credibility there but it's it's pretty clear to see i mean you have guys bouncing back from torn achilles now in like seven months
2: <laughs> yeah Cam but, a- came back in ridiculous amount of time yeah
3: like and like even just like five years ago that wasn't a thing you know yeah. You know the spine, and you know that could be different, but it's definitely something worth keeping an eye on. That if he's there in round five, round six, and you kind of want to swing for a fence, like why not? You know that that's definitely a guy that could pay enormous dividends.
2: I'd rather take the top forty, fifty-ish overall prospect in round five or six that may never play than yeah. take a chance on a, and some of these other guys that that are most likely not going to make an impact anyway. I agree. That's all right. Thank you so much for joining us. Cy. This was unbelievable. I could talk football with you for hours. I, mean, I want to get you out of here, but at some point, if you're going to, if you're willing to give it to us, I'd love to talk to you about the actual giants roster as it stands yeah. right now. Some stuff you've seen on film with guys like Daniel Jones and some of these other core guys, but that's for a future pod for now. This was Sai on the draft. This was incredible. Thank you for joining us and let everybody know one more time where they can find all your work.
3: Yeah. So I work for our lads scouting services. We have a, a website. Um, we're really good. I think our best, our best trait there is that we're really on top of college and NFL debt charts. Um, so if you're ever kind of watching a game, you kind of want to know who's where, who's where on the that chart. We do there. Our draft guide just got sent out. We had a little issue with a printer, uh, but it just got sent out. It's in the mail now. So you can still go online and order it at our lads.com. And um, I am on Twitter. I'm being told I need to do more on it. So um it's my Twitter handle is our lads underscore sy. Our lads is spelled O-U-R-L-A-D-S underscore sy. That's S-Y. And um, I'll be live tweeting all draft weekend. Every single pick, I'll have something to say about it.
2: Well, we can – I'll say this because I yeah, know you've been told you need to tweet a little bit more. Yeah, I, And we didn't get a chance to do it. I want to do a segment talking about some of your tweets. It's all right. But you yeah. have a very high value per tweet rate. So you got to – keep to get that's going to drop. If you tweet more, it's going to drop. So I never tweets almost. It's like once every once in a while, but it's yeah. always good stuff. So it's like yeah. great value with each tweet. So I don't know if you want to drop that rate. Who knows if you're a rate guy, if you want to get yeah. the rate up for your next contract. I, I, it may be. I, I don't even know what rate is. <laughs> Yeah. And I'll say this about Arleds, Cause you made a good point. There's literally no other site I use for depth charts. I probably yeah. hit the, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe a thousand plus views. I give or get at least yeah. to the depth charts per year. I'm just hitting the depth chart Detroit lions. I have a couple up right now cause I'm doing a mock draft. I have the lions up. I have the Seahawks up. So we'll see what happens there. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody else. Have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon.